Joe. Joe on Joe is the only podcast where Joe talks about Joe. You're listening to episode 117 of G.I. Joeberg. My name is Stephen, and I'm joined by a full team. Tonight we have... Robert. Paul on pencils. Cujo on the West Coast, but I'm not alone. And a very special guest... Joe Slepsky. If you don't know who... <laughs> if you don't know who Joe Slepsky is... Well, he's got his own theme tune, <laughs> so you should, uh, but he is the host of Joe on Joe podcast. Greetings, Joe. Oh, greetings. Greetings, Steve. Thanks so much for having me on, man. I, I, I'm excited. Uh, I, I had you on my, my show. We're, it's going to be airing in a couple weeks, and, uh, and you're such a delight, so I'm very happy to do your show as well. Well, your format is very much one-on-one, so I, I, um, I decided to take one for the team and, and join you myself personally. But now you are exposed <laughs> to the full effect, the G.I. Joeberg team. You've got Rob and Steve in Cape Town, South Africa, Paul in our namesake, Johannesburg, Joeberg, South Africa, and Cujo in Long Beach, who is a stone's throw away from you, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> We're going to have to meet up for some Yojo Cola. <laughs> I find Cobra Cola runs off the tongue a little bit more trippingly. Yeah, it's your well. Also, I mean, Cobra, Cobra branded much better than GI Joe. I mean, everything was branded Cobra. They had, you know, they had their own magazine. They had their own benefits package. They had retirement communities. Uh, I'm sure Cobra Cola tasted much better than Yojo Cola. It's got a better jingle, doesn't it? <laughs> Always Cobra yeah. Cola. There's a better band. Exactly. Real snakes, y'all. <laughs> But we uh, we've got a lot of items on the agenda. I think it's probably gonna gonna roll very very easily. Uh, we've all seen Infinity War, I assume. Woohoo! But my man Joe has got a little bit of an inside scoop on that particular blockbuster. I got to see I got to see the Infinity War up close. They've invaded my comic book shop. Uh, if you guys saw, like, it was the week of the release of the movie on the. Um, yeah, on the James Corden show, they it did a segment for that show where they took pretty much like all the Avengers, like 12, 12 or 13 of them, and they drove them around L.A. and did some funny gags with them. And ultimately, they brought them to a comic book shop, which is Golden Apple Comics. And that's where I work out here in L.A. Oh, and famous. We were yeah, we were playing the role of uh, of surprised, uh, surprised clerks to meet all of our Avengers. And it was it was not a lot of acting was involved. Like it was it was pretty awesome. We got to meet pretty much everybody. Oh, wow. You got any personal highlights? Yeah, um, I got to talk to Don Cheadle a lot, he, who, I, who I really love. Uh, big longtime fan of him. I talked to Elizabeth Olsen. I uh, got a selfie with Benedict Cumberbatch, who which who was great, and we talked a little um, talked a little Sherlock. Um, I got to so I got autographed um, my Avengers Giant Size Avengers number four, which was the marriage of Scarlet Witch and Vision. And I got it autographed by 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 Palm, who plays uh, Mantis, and then I got Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany oh, to all sign it. Brilliant. And they're all right. Yeah, they're so all on cool. the cover. So now I got to get Thor and um, oh, who else on the cover? Is it Iron Man? I think might be on the cover. But yeah, so and then and then I'll be a trifecta. But that was great. It, everyone was awesome. Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, by the way, massive. Like, oh really? He's yoked. It's gun show time. He was, <laughs> he was so swole. It was and super nice dude. But like the first thing you notice was wow you you really are yoked right now <laughs> and i met a goonie i mean i, I met a goonie josh brolin man goonies oh, yeah. never die oh man outstanding damn right well said hey um on the subject of uh bandersnatch cucumber patch uh did he mention <laughs> anything about uh the next sherlock um, no 
Uh, he he just no insight there. He just said that um, you know he wants to do it as much as everyone else, and um, you know he's. I, I've read I read a separate interview where he's he's all for it, and I think um, Martin Freeman might be a little down on doing it again. But right, I think cool. I Benedict really he loves it. He seemed he's like he when I said how much I love the show, he's he there was a joy in his face, and he's just like oh it's an amazing character to play, and we love it so much, and yeah you know such a good show. But yeah, oh, yes. I, I just couldn't help but uh, segue into that quickly because <laughs> I love the show and I dig the actor. And I gotta say that was before we so we met them. Uh, it was a week before the movie opened, so none of us had actually seen the movie. Having seen the movie, he's fantastic in that movie. Yeah, and he's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, like he. I mean, everyone's great in it, but he really does like just carries that movie through. He is so strong. I think he's better as Strange in this go round than he was in his first movie. I think he found who he wants his character to be. Oh, definitely. Yeah, he felt a lot more Agreed. comfortable. Mm-hmm. For sure. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. The character has kind of progressed from like a, a kind of rookie who's finding his way as the Sorcerer Supreme to now being quite secure in that role. And, oh man, the guy just exudes confidence. Like he is to the magic world that Stark is to the science world, really. Yeah. It's great. When he called Stark, when he called Stark a douche, I mean, that was... That was... <laughs> Just it was like it was like everything you've ever wanted someone in a movie to say for the last ten years. <laughs> I love that because it's like it's the two Sherlock's meet on screen as well. Oh um, right, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're totally right. I don't know. The introduction of Doctor Strange in Infinity War kind of made me realize how well it made me feel like it's such it was such a missed opportunity for them because had they done a, a Doctor Strange film earlier, we could have had a lot more witty banter between Tony Stark and. Stephen Strange, mm. but uh, hey, you know, too much manicured facial hair on one screen at one time, man. You've got to limit that. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's like overkill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I, how his cape comes to life. I want their 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 beards to come to life and just kind of have a sword fight. <laughs> so, a battle damage cape. <laughs> so, what did we think of the film overall, Stephen? I can't fault it. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Who else wants to weigh in? Oh, I, I, I just had so much fun. Why the price of admission? <laughs> I loved it. I've seen it twice. Um, technically two and a half times. The first time we tried the theater had severe technical difficulties. Oh, I saw and that. It, you you yeah. did a live. Oh, oh my yeah. Goodness. You went they live had to on deal that. with an an angry opening night crowd where the fire alarms went off. The this well, that was the final the finale of it. The it restarted two or three times. The sound was going in and out, and then finally the fire alarms go off, and they have to give refunds to everyone in the whole theater. Like it was very angry crowd. And this is at you know, near midnight on a Thursday. Oh man, I don't know what I'd do oh. with myself because the level of anticipation would be like, I oh. can't, I can't go home. I can't leave. I, I need to see this movie. People were so angry, Jeez. and we, we we were luckily on the chill side of it. We were like, all right, relax, everybody. You're getting your money back, and you know. But uh, but I loved it. I loved the movie. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was uh, it was the kind of movie that we've never literally never seen before. The sequel to what seventeen films or something. Uh, storytelling wise, like if you if you follow that, you know, feel like you you know follow like script writing and the, the hero's journey and the the way that acts should move up and down and so on. It breaks all that mm. that because it it's essentially the third act of seventeen movies. You know, so it just mm. gets right into it. They had some characters had fully realized arcs and others had half arcs that I'm sure are going to be completed in the next movie. Like I, I loved it. I thought it was a wonderfully made mishmash of everything that we've enjoyed about these Marvel movies. Yeah, it was really well balanced. 
it's very Shakespearean in a way. Um, mm -hmm. That's so funny you should say that. I was attending <laughs> yeah, right. a Shakespeare festival in Romania uh, with a bunch of like die-hard Marvel fans. It was interesting to not be the most knowledgeable person in the room. Like <laughs> these guys always preempted me. Like anytime I had an observation to make about the movie, they would be like, "Yeah, yeah, I know about that, and I read about it in this issue." I mean, Joe, you, <laughs> I imagine you ex you exercise a lot more restraint than they do. But yeah, they're, they're definitely well. Yeah, they're, they're approaching your paw. I think. I think we try. We, you know, I try. Like sometimes, sometimes, yeah, it's a learned skill to not have to autocorrect all the little nuances. Sometimes the people when they start talking about comic book movies, but I've learned to look for the intent of what they're saying, and if and if their intent is correct, then I just let it go. Mm. Yeah. Don't sweat the details. Otherwise, we'll it's, be uh... we'll be here all day correcting you that Captain America technically did not die in the book Civil War. Thank you. Stop saying that. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I'm nodding like I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Captain America died? Uh, it's a skill I'm sure Rob has also sort of uh, honed as well, because when you work behind uh, a counter in a comic book store, as I have and as Rob does, I can fully relate to what you've just said. You, you do sort of hold your tongue. You do learn to um, hold back on killing people when they have spoilers, which is often why you try to watch this stuff before. Oh, yeah. Anybody yeah, you have you have to see all these movies the Thursday or Friday they open because like I work so I work on Saturdays so if I don't see it immediately then my Saturday is terrible if and yeah so it's always like even let's say my wife is is busy or can't make it one of those nights I'm just like I'm sorry I have to go see this movie you don't understand my my Saturday will be garbage if I don't understand what's going on. Another reason that I've found for seeing things opening weekend is supporting projects you enjoy. Like, yes. that opening weekend box office is so vitally important to the money men, to the producers, to the people watching the bottom line and determining whether or not they can make sequels or make a series of these movies. Like, it's it's fascinating to me to to be part of, you know, a, a voting process almost. Mm. Voting with mm -hmm. your dollars, which is, which is why Star Wars has now started to become quite contentious about whether you're going to see it on opening weekend, whether you're going to see it at all. Uh, the first movie that I actively kind of threw my hands up and said, I'm not going to support this, were the Michael Bay Transformers movies. Doesn't yeah. seem to stop them, though. <laughs> oh. They're going to keep making that oh, stuff. Wow. So, yeah, as diehard fans, we can't really tip the balance. Yeah, that's you making the choice to not support hot garbage, so good for you. Well, on that topic, <laughs> let's segue ah. to Star Wars. Uh, who's going to see Solo on opening weekend? Well, not us, because we're going to be on a plane, aren't we? Let me uh, throw some elbows in here. I saw uh, Infinity War. I'll aim this at Joe. I'm in Long Beach. That's not Hollywood. You don't sound cynical. Like, you sound like you still enjoy the Hollywood game and stuff. When you're watching movies, do you see actors or do you see characters? I see a full production. I Yeah, like, I was, well, one, cynical-wise, like, I'm, I've been out here in L.A. for, like, five years. Uh, I'm from Chicago, so... Uh, you know, not not super jaded in the Hollywood sense, but and, and I like I you know I studied movies in college and stuff, so it's been a long time since I've kind of like gotten lost and swept away by characters. I like to see the scene. I, well, I like to see the seams in a movie, but I don't enjoy them. I like to see like the process and how it's made and stuff. So that's one thing I do when I go see these movies. And if they, in, in, like for me, if they successfully hide all the trouble that I know these productions go through. Then that's a that's that's a big plus in my book for them. 
when you say production, are you talking about like off screen or? Yeah, like off screen. Yeah, off screen. You know, like for example, with the solo movie, you know, like we know how troubled, uh, you know, they had a fire Miller and Lord, you know, and then um, yeah, uh, Ron Howard's coming in, who you know, I, I like his work a lot. It's not flashy, but I like his work. He's a very solid director. So like when I go into a movie like that, or what, what was the other one? Uh, well, Ant Man was like that, and uh, mm. there was another one. It, when I see. When I can tell, oh, I know what it was. Justice League. But Justice League, yes. <laughs> yes. So that that one, like that one, I, I watched it. It was terrible on all on all fronts. But there are some scenes where Batman is absolutely giving, being given different motivation, and he's he's an angry Batman, and he's this Batman. He's he's the um he's the Snyder Batman. And then there are scenes that are obviously we, the Whedon Batman, and he's lighter and he's funnier. And it's I'm watching this like this is the same movie, and yet. It's so poorly put together because it so doesn't track. It's like those those kind of things. That's what I look for. If you meet an actor and they're kind of cold off screen, are you able to enjoy their characters, or or is it too much? Um, yeah, because I, yeah, I, I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't really bother me. Coldness. If we meet people, everyone's got something going on, you know. Like I, everyone's just human, and the day yeah. I, the day I met them, they might have gotten a tax bill, you know. Or they might have broken up with a girlfriend, or they might they might have just gotten rejected from a job they wanted. You know, it's I'll it, is, it is yeah, it is the rare actor that actually gets to choose exactly what he wants to do. What was Bronan like in person? He seems to have adopted a like a very like calm, cool, collected discon. Well, I don't know. Um, uh, well, he was distant. Yeah, He's got like a distant vibe about him in interviews and stuff. He, he was cool, you know. Like he was cool. I mean, he. He's while he's you know he's done some he's done some really great work uh, you know No Country for Old Men probably being like his best work and thrashing yeah well I mean come on of course <laughs> thrashing but if you think it's funny you mentioned thrashing so he's been working in Hollywood for forty years and his mom is the most one of the most famous women in the world his stepmother's uh, mother-in-law or stepmom I guess you know Barbara Streisand like and his dad. His dad was a massive star. So this this is a guy who's been, you know, he's been around everything, seen everything, and done everything, even though he's not like, I, I wouldn't consider Josh Brolin like a marquee name. Like, people don't go out to see the latest Josh Brolin movie. But this is a guy that's been around forever. So, yeah, he's cool. He's He may be a, seem a little aloof, and I don't really see and say I know him. I met him once, you know. But he was yeah. cool. Like, what, what do you expect from someone who's led that kind of life? Like, they're going to be a little, you know. I definitely, yeah. I definitely thought some of the characters were great in Infinity War, like you guys said, the, uh, the the back and forth with Stark and whatnot. But yeah, the, transitioning to Star Wars, the storyline seems to be the subplots to me. I'm not, I'm not going to get into politics this podcast because we got guests. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I don't I don't know if I want to support certain networks going forward. It's hard to know. Yeah, you know, like that, like networks, like what, like what networks in regards to what? We got two people that work at comic book stores. You guys know the scuttlebutt. Like we all know, there's a lot of drama in comics right now. Sure. It's, oh, by the way, I just read my first uh, Golden Apple comic, uh, Adventure oh, yeah? Man. Oh, you read Adventure Man? What'd you think? Yeah, I, I love the vibe, dude. I actually lived in the city that that takes place in. Oh, funny. Isn't that weird? Yeah. But anyway, Noah, I think a lot of people are turning towards indie indie comics. Uh -huh. I don't know if DC and Marvel have the goodwill to weather the storm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, they may not. I know. I know uh, DC is trying hard 
to build that goodwill like real hard and i don't see marvel trying i don't see marvel trying that hard to do that um I, and i know that's another conversation but i'm curious uh rob and joe what's the scuttlebutt around you guys right now are people talking about the characters or are they talking about the personalities well, I, I think in general, I mean, at least maybe my m- the people who come into my store aren't like hectically into the behind the scenes stuff. I think m- myself, I mean, I, I've I, I subscribe to so many different comic creators. It's it's just interesting to you sometimes shouldn't know that much about the people's the people whose work you appreciate. I think. I but, agree. I'm not a terribly political person, but then like when people talk about certain political stuff, I'm like, eh, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. And then you read or watch reviews or read the comic books, and you're like, you start seeing that coming out of their work, and you're like, is that really helping them tell a really good story if they're kind of injecting their politics so heavily into what they're writing? Or uh, their agenda. Yeah, it's just difficult to kind of then not see the writer, you know, kind of pulling the strings for the characters as he moves them around. I don't know. Oh, I apologize. That's. <laughs> That's, it's uh, all that's, good. It's not gamble for sure, a change. That's Shirley Feeney. Hold on, I'll mute. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Shirley so. and Gamble should have a word with one another. <laughs> His animal <laughs> companion. Nailed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think in general people are, are fairly interested in, in what's coming out. I mean, I think DC more so than Marvel, because Marvel keeps... Even with the change of you know uh, editor in chief, they seem to they seem to still be you know going round and round in a circle with what they're doing. You know they keep going back to number one and they kind of sh- you know move the character you know the, the creators around and like oh maybe this guy will do a little bit better on this one. Um, yeah, Marvel doesn't feel like they're trying as hard, but yeah, D- DC definitely feels like oh here's a new age of heroes. Uh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis is doing uh, Superman. Uh, we're trying a bunch of new stuff. Come on, guys, like us. <laughs> Yeah, well, I can tell you, I can tell you that Marvel, for me, it feels like Marvel is just um, from the top down, just being told to just don't ruin the IPs. They've been a mess for a few years, uh, rehashing stories and rehashing. They're both companies are in it for the money, Mm. obviously, and 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 they're gonna whatever the politics that may or may not be uh, put forth in the comics. It's all because they think that that's where the money is. It's not because, you know, as a corporation, they're they're trying to make a stand. It's because in Marvel's case, they they saw, and I think it kind of you kind of go back to like the DC, uh, the, the way they revived Batgirl. Like that was one of the bellwethers a few years back, where then everyone said, okay, well this is what we want to do because it sold really well. They made those choices, like Marvel did, to change a lot of and, and add a lot of the diverse characters because that's where the money was. At least that's what they thought. Mm. They both made the they both made the problem of throwing uh, the baby out with the bathwater. I think Marvel more so than DC this time, where they got rid of all the stuff for the old fans. You know, when I say old, I don't mean literally old, but just fans of the older characters. Mm. They got rid of all the old fans, and then they were like, "And now here's the new ones, and here's the only versions of them are going that's going to be available are the new ones." And that's the part that rubs me the wrong way, not the choice to actually be you know be a little more diverse in their characters. But to just write out the whole continuity, because all it does is give older older readers, longtime readers, an excuse to drop your books, not necessarily mm. to try something new. There has to be a good balance, and that balance is, I think, where DC's been heading, at least since Rebirth, because they they did that with the New Fifty Two. They they tossed out all the old readers, and it took them a few years to realize, oh, we screwed up. We got rid of the old readers. We did bring some new ones in, but certainly not enough. 
And so when they did Rebirth, it was saying, hey, old readers, come back. We're going to have both what you like and the stuff that was really good of the new stuff, which was not that much, but there was some of it that was good. Yeah, definitely. I think Rebirth was was a good change of direction for DC. Um, I mean, overall, the, the titles in general became a lot more interesting. And then with Metal, I mean, them kind of like spinning out the new age of heroes. I mean, which are all basically, you know, DC interpretations of Marvel characters. But... <laughs> Um, it's... <laughs> well, listen. If Marvel's not going to do the Fantastic Four, I, someone's got to do it. Exactly. If Jeff Lemire's going to, if Jeff Lemire's going to do it with the Terrifics, which is a, an amazing book, yeah, I'm I'm all for it, man. Marvel's don't do the FF. Someone else do it. Well, I mean, I was just looking in the solicitations. Sorry. Well, solicitations. There, I mean, it seems Marvel is finally starting to listen. It looks like Fantastic Four is coming back. You know, yeah, finally. by the end of the year. But it's like too little, too late, maybe. Here. Here's the only thing. Oh, sorry, were you waiting for an answer on that? No, no, no. That was just those. Those were, you know, that was just a whoa, fans. Think about it. <laughs> yeah, that was like that's that's a heavy. That's a heavy thought, man. Yeah, too mm. little, too late. I don't know. I I, I know we got some GI Joe to talk uh, spe- specifically, maybe a, a ninja standalone movie. But I hear what you guys are saying about like creators and politics and stuff. I don't think we're going to be able to pull that curtain closed again. I mean, I don't see where creators aren't kind of the operative. I don't know. To me, and this is a person who's not been in the trenches the entire time, but definitely been involved with this whole comics debacle. I think that editors, the editor job at a comic company has to be redefined. They have to be social media savvy. They have to be, if if the comic networks are going to survive. That's what I see. Yeah, I, I think you're right, but I think that that stands for almost any uh, any industry that has somewhat high profile. You know, um, it's just, and that's a new way of of life for every, like literally the whole planet. If we're gonna if you're gonna engage on social media, you kind of yeah. have to we kind of have to watch what you're saying because you're. You know, it, it absolutely is freedom of speech, but there's also freedom of dollar spend, you know, mm-hmm. and and, well, and whatever whatever side of the fence you fall on politically, we'll talk, we're talking a smart person is 100 percent aware that that side may have controversy associated with it. So we, we, part of protecting your own livelihood may not be to say exactly what you want, you know. Well, and I, I hear the argument that, like, if you ignore it, it'll go away. No. Not in one level communication and, and not in the world of Trump. And I, I'm not saying I, how I feel about Trump. I'm saying that that dude took a Twitter handle and went to the White House. So, like, I don't think you can ignore things. Leaders in the comic industry have to address things like adults. Mm-hmm. And you guys want to talk to G.I. Joe, by the way? Well, before we get there, because now you've just met. Yeah, you, you, you got sorry, brother. Topic, I'm sorry, um, guys. No, 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 no. You got into the topic of uh, how does a comic creator, writer, artist or whatever, um, how does their sort of private life or sort of public life uh, factor into your enjoyment of comics? Well, I think the secret is held by a man called Alan Moore. Um, I think if if these companies went and spoke to Alan Moore and asked him, how do you do it? Because that man is severely salty. What <laughs> yeah. you think? <laughs> <laughs> and yet, and yet his books still sell. 
you put Alan Moore on the cover of something and it still does well. Uh, I, I don't know about today, but I know when I was uh, in in the com- behind a comic book uh, counter, Alan Moore stuff sold exceptionally well. Sure. So whatever he's doing, I think uh, Marvel and DC need to uh, get some advice uh, because he's obviously doing it the right way because he's not a very likable dude. Well, and you yet, know, th- I, I, I agree. The, that's a great example. Um, I'll, I'll throw another example out there that I think might be a little more because Alan Moore's comments are usually about the comic book industry, and yeah. that's that's so that's such a small community of you know realistically he's 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 pissing off, he pisses off the comic industry which is like a tiny tiny portion of people you know, yeah. um you know like you can't use my creations even though every single major character that he is known for is someone else's creation right we, we won't get yeah. I enjoy his work but I, he's the talks out of both sides of his mouth anyway. Chuck Dixon, I think, is a perfect example of what you're talking about. Chuck Dixon uh, is a hardcore Republican. Um, in the years before, you know, the orange-faced demon, who we won't say his name, he's a hardcore. <laughs> Too late. He's a hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Chuck, uh, Dixon's a hardcore Republican. I've enjoyed so many of his Batman stuff, and I knew for years that he was a Republican, for 20 years, whatever, just because he's a whatever. He is who he is. But he wrote Batman, you know? And yet, yeah, yeah. Miller, Miller makes him a little fascistic, but... Batman's Batman. You know, Batman doesn't like guns. Batman fights for the common man. You know, like Batman's a real hero. And Dixon was a talented enough writer to keep that out of it. You know, I think he's a great example of people from all walks of life enjoying a creator that probably they wouldn't agree with his social views. And and that's and I don't mean to say that Dixon as a person is bad or anything. He's just a mm-hmm. Republican. You know, and he just leans mm-hmm. one way. Yet he wrote so many great great comics that are enjoyable for everybody i think he's the great example of what you're saying Mm. with all these important lessons to be learned from the comics industry in general how the hell do we make a winning gi joe title and spinning out from that a winning gi joe film franchise that is the question we now concern ourselves with because we're uh, recording this episode hot on the heels within a week of the news breaking that uh, we are not only going to look forward to a G.I. Joe film in 2020, but also a solo Snake Eyes spin-off movie. And I do believe that these are going to be shunting their way into a shared universe with the other Hasbro properties. I don't know. My warning bells are immediately ringing. Let's look at uh, one of the sort of um, things that's out there already. I mean, let's look at Transformers. I mean, Transformers has done exceptionally well. I'm sure a lot of guys out there can agree that any um, sequence in the Transformers movies involving Josh Duhamel and or Duhamel and his crew were better GI Joe movies than the two that we got. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so maybe maybe they're on the right path here. Uh, was trying to maybe find a character that people can follow and relate to before throwing everybody into a smorgasbord of specially trained operatives. I don't know. That's that's kind of so. So where I'm coming from is maybe we need the Wolverine um, in this regard. You know, we we need a Wolverine to follow. It's so funny you just used that as exact. And I liked the movie The Wolverine and. And I know that they pulled uh, his friendship with Yukio out of the comic books. I was just yeah. saying at the store, someone at the store yesterday was asking me, hey, 
are you excited about the snake eyes thing and i said i was like well i want i really want to wait to see how it shapes up but sure of course i'm excited however i have a feeling they're going to pair him up with jinx but not the jinx that we know and love she'll be a plucky 13 year old girl who's you know who's quite possibly might end up being his long lost daughter you know and i'm that's that's what I'm afraid they're going to do with Snake Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the buddy comedy. Yeah, a buddy comedy with a plucky jinx and, you know, hey, that's what I don't want. But, uh, yeah. Do you think there's any possibility it could be an origin story? It'd be amazing. Yeah, it should. Well, and do the, real origin, do, the real, do the real comic origin, though. Make him a soldier, you know, who, like, you, you know, came to it late. Don't make him a, a street kid who gets adopted by the Irish Chicago. Make him, you know, make him his own man who has to tell the story. You could tell the origin of Cobra. If they could have done a Snake Eyes movie and had it be the origin of Cobra in that first Rise of Rise of Cobra movie, you know, because yeah. it kind of parallels. Yeah, I came to a similar conclusion myself. And anyone who wants to um, <laughs> check me on my facts, uh, we we put out like a movie pitch episode, I think, within the first year of this podcast. And in it, I was like, yeah, it's got to be a story about these three guys who return from you know, Vietnam or whatever conflict they want to reset it in. You know, the one stays with the army, that stalker. The other goes off to his family business in Okinawa. And the other comes home to uh, his whole family being wiped out in a car accident caused by the man who went on to become Cobra's brother. Mm -hmm. Or Cobra Commander's brother, yeah. So, I mean, this this kind of um, common seed that all of their stories sprout from is so compelling and we've got Harmer to thank and is, yeah. isn't Harmer responsible for the plot that formed the the, the, the storyline for the Wolverine wasn't that all his stuff no that was Claremont stuff oh was it okay. yeah, this, it's yeah that was mostly, mostly Claremont okay if I'm not mistaken it's the second um, Wolverine movie uh, that pulls heavily from Harmer's run because it's the Madripoor thing if I'm not mistaken I think you guys anyway, are both conflicting on this. You think it's the same one? No, 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 no. The the the, the Wolverine, the the movie called The Wolverine. That was that was really pulling from Claremont. Yeah. Hama's yeah. run. Hama's run was focused on like LCD and uh, the the robot clone Wolverine and, and Cable, and which I enjoyed that run a lot actually with Mark Sylvester and stuff. Patch. Yeah. yeah. But Patch. But Patch wasn't. Patch was a Claremont invention too, going back to Wolverine yeah. number one. Um, all right. And okay. Scott B. Sama and stuff. So, and even anything Madripoor, which they never, I don't think they actually went to, I don't think they named it Madripoor in any of those movies. I don't think they actually no. used that as a. <laughs> um, no, like, I would say, I would say those movies are mostly Claremont. The cool thing with the Snake Eyes uh, Origins film, a lot of people don't realize that he wasn't born a mute. He right. lost. He lost his power, his ability to speak. Uh, not in Vietnam. Power oh, his power of speech. <laughs> Amazing. Power. <laughs> wow. The mutant power of speaking. Uh, I have the power to communicate with my vocal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he didn't lose his voice uh, in Nam. He lost it after he had been enlisted in the G.I. Joe units. Rescuing Scarlet. Yeah, yeah man. In a helicopter incident. Uh, it, so. Yeah, so, so if, like, if, I were, if, I were to, if I were to fanfic it, I would I would absolutely make it more uh, make him more mature. You know, he goes off to war, he comes home, family, blah blah blah. He goes to join his buddy, and then just do the slow reveal that his buddy's family clan of you know martial artists are the Cobra Army. They're like the arm the the military branch of this Cobra Army. So then he has realizes he's been training under these evil dudes for this long, you know, and then he has to fight back. There's your story. 
And then mm. at the end, at the end of it, then he gets recruited by GI Joe, which is uh, its own organization on their own. Like they find him, and he's just taken down like the major cell. And Tommy's gone off to be with Cobra, blah blah blah. And then they're like, "Hey, dude, you need to join this team called GI Joe. Like, mm. there's your story." And he's got. Then he does give him all these personal ties, and you could have Cobra Commander be the bad guy, and his you know still have the connection with the death of his family, you know whether it was an accident or on purpose or whatever. I think you know I think there's a lot of power there, and you even give Scarlet put Scarlet in his unit and have him get damaged, saving her not as their member of, jo- of the Joes, but have her uh, she, like she's in his military unit, whatever conflict they want to put him in, mm. and mm. he does save her. He gets blasted in the face. He gets a, a, a ticket to go home. Um, so on and so forth and then she ends up being on the team and you know i think there's a easy way to do it without going the precocious kid ninja angle that they flirted with in the other movies oh it's dreadful yeah. it was uh, dreadful <laughs> yeah um, they, they learn nothing from the phantom menace we don't want to see our badasses as little kids <laughs> we really don't even though in phantom menace to be fair him being a precocious asshole of a kid is kind of like oh well he's Darth vader it's not like he's everybody's favorite I want some. I still want someone to to dub over, uh, take a Darth Vader flying a Tie Fighter scene and just dub over. Now this is pod racing. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is pod racing. No, this is. Uh, Try rolling. That's a good uh, maneuver. (laughs) Did anybody? Did anybody else catch that that interview with Hama in the Washington Post in the recent past? They were talking about his update of Snake Eyes and the fandom, how it's responded, etc. Yeah. Well, he said, you know, one of the one of his kind of ingredients to GI Joe is like they he doesn't like it when they do separate titles like a Snake Eyes comic book because GI Joe inherently is the team. Do you think that applies to cinema? Like, is it kind of undermining thematically the property if we start releasing all these individual character flicks? It doesn't for me. When they started doing the um, the origins. Series, I think that was IDW, or was that Devils Do? Was that IDW? IDW. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it because I, I want, I want to know that everyone is their own, their own person. They're part of a bigger unit. But yeah, I really enjoyed seeing that stuff. I think it, I think it fleshes it out. Yeah, it adds more to your enjoyment of the team itself. I mean, it's not, it's not meant to replace the the team dynamics. It's just kind of to help you, yeah, to kind of like appreciate who the characters are overall. And I think, I mean, yeah. kind of like. It feels like they maybe go in the Marvel route where you know you can't give every single character their own movies, but you can definitely give Snake Eyes his own movie, and then that hopefully leads in and makes it easier to make a new take on the Joes. You know, because you have that heart. Like I think, it, as Paul said earlier, you have your Wolverine to follow into these films. Hmm. Making Snake Eyes your lens is really smart because yeah, he he is. A compelling central character that everyone seems to have a six degrees or one degree of separation to, uh, mm-hmm. and there are inherent challenges that I think filmmakers should meet head on about, you know, telling stories about characters with disabilities. I said before, like he doesn't have to be mute at the start of the film, but he can be a man of few words, and that that could be interesting. I mean, yeah. But Hollywood's Hollywood's not going to meet that challenge head on. They're, you know, they're not making an art film here. They're making a popcorn movie, and their research is going to be very superficial. They're probably going to read uh, issue twenty-one again, and you know, or not read issue twenty-one. <laughs> Just look at the pictures and go like, "Oh, cool! He rescues a girl from a castle. Let's do that yeah. scene. Everyone's going to want that." 
you know, in the other in the other live action movies, when they made his mutinous be a choice, you know, the vow of silence, I I wanted to punch the screen because it's like how irresponsible is that? You're on a military unit, probably could help someone at one point by saying, "Hey, look out over that way. Here comes a tank," <laughs> and you're and and you're choosing to not speak. I I hated that choice. That it was a it was a vow of silence. Shut up. Vow talk. of silence, and yet he's got those insipid sculpted lips. <laughs> <laughs> What? Well, that makes That's him kissable. Just... That makes him kissable. You know? Insulting. That's why Scarlet likes him. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so, I mean, uh, would you guys have any interest in, in supporting a, a G.I. Joe movie, like, under those circumstances? I mean, we know we're not yeah. going to get our, our wildest dream, but, yeah, you think you can get behind it? Even this shared universe uh, scenario? There are two things. One thing I wanted to mention while, uh, comes back to building him up as a character and then having him lose his voice. Is it IDW or was it Larry Homer's run in Marvel which made him very, like, a very chatty, very, like, kind of almost, I don't want to say irritating, but, like, like chatty, you know? He always had, like, the one-liners and stuff. So him losing his voice is actually kind of a tragedy for him, seeing as he is definitely... He, he definitely was a bit of a smooth talker and that kind of thing. Was it Was it the IDW line that did that? No, I think you're um, talking about. I think you're talking about the um, the Tom Scioli, GI Joe Transformers. Yes, you see, that's why it's so stuck in my head. Yeah, because... and it was great characterization, but yeah, that's the only time I remember seeing that. <laughs> this hunky, blonde, long-haired commando. Yeah, he didn't wear his mask in that sort of initial mission. Uh, yeah. which is kind of cool as well. Yeah. And then the other thing is, um, Snake Eyes is a lady now in the current run. Um, do you think our solo Snake Eyes movie will be with the Snake Eyes lady? The parallels with Wolverine keep yeah. coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope. I hope not. I doubt that. I doubt they do that. Look, I because yeah, she apparently. I mean, I haven't read any of the books with her, and I've just been you know hearing little like whispers on Twitter and everything here and there. But apparently, she's kicking butt as far as like sales and stuff goes. I would attribute the the GI Joe. Uh, real American hero sales bump to the G.I. Joe fans rallying around the brand in, in the recent kind of storm, so to speak. And I wish, honestly, I wish there was more context around the voices of G.I. Joe. I, re- I really do. But I, I like that Hama still gets to tell the story, and it was him that, that changed the character, and, and he gave he gave the new character a backstory, which was uh, very compelling. It definitely caught the attention of my uh, lady, because she's Latina, and so is the character. So... I think it, I think it was a good update. I just feel like that the brand needs to, and we always say this, or we say it often, but we need to introduce new characters. Like let these old characters be enjoyed, but Natalia. we need new characters. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I was just curious because I mean, uh, the way filmmaking is going and the way everything is going, uh, and I hate to use this term, but the social justice warrior sort of consciousness that's out there at the moment and and how big studios and whatever seem to cater to that. Uh, and don't misunderstand me here, I don't think making Snake Eyes a girl is very much a social justice warrior thing, I just, I'm worried that it can be turned into that. And I am actually totally cool. L- listen, as far as a G.I. Joe film goes, if they can just make a good G.I. Joe movie, I'm already happy. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't care if it's Cobra Commander's origin story of how he was a car salesman and then you know it's basically parallels falling down and then it ends up with him being this huge dictator and everybody's like wow this is a moving oscar-winning piece i don't care if it's that it's that and and great if it puts bums in seats 
and it makes my one of my favorite brands, if not my favorite brand, awesome again, then win-win for everybody, I think. Kujo, I'm going to disagree with you, man, and the rest of you guys can weigh in on, on which side of, of the divide you fall. But I'm going to say that you don't need to introduce new characters. The G.I. Joe has such a rich world of pre-existing characters, compelling characters, characters that have a rich backstory behind them. You just need to present them properly. You need to do them justice. You need Scarlet to be presented you know, in a just way. She hasn't been on the big screen yet. Lady J, similarly. Uh, Zartan. You know, very compelling characters that are all intertwined and interwoven into this kind of like lattice work of very, very good characters that have huge followings in the fan community. You need to present them well to new fans. Uh, and all the ingredients are there. Do you see visual updates on those old characters then to modernize them? Or how do you see it? I think there is something very primal about the way G.I. Joe was presented in the 80s which propelled its success and that's each character had a signature look yes i think that's also key you know you, you can't start putting i don't know barbecue in black leather <laughs> he's gotta be red man the the, the biggest mis- the biggest mistake the biggest mistake that first movie made was everyone looked like snake eyes and mm-hmm. and it, it made me think that, that the people involved had absolutely no understanding of why those toys were so popular at the time they were. Everyone was unique. Everyone had their own uniform. Everyone had their own, quote, superpower. And that the first G.I. Joe movie set the tone of, oh, no, they all have the same superpower. And that's to be to look like Snake Eyes and to do everything. Mm. Mm. I also concede that it was a mistake to reset G.I. Joe as the global initiative joint operating entity or whatever you know gi joe is a real american hero action force is the european equivalent but beyond that like that those are the sort of territorial i don't know i wouldn't call them limitations but it needs to be couched in those kind of national interests the second you make it this global like shield basically they answer to Mm. no one i don't know i don't know maybe maybe shield shield as as it was posited in the film shield does answer to the united states i think but Shield's also been disbanded, and for good reason, you know. So yeah, so yeah. so you need it needs to be a national concern, and that's part of the identity of a real American hero. I wouldn't be a fan of it otherwise, you know. And I speak from outside of uh, American well, borders. This is kind of what I'm thinking. I I agree. Like I do think those old characters will always be relevant for all the reasons. And dude, by the way, Joe, on the Comic Con floor, you were on fire, dude. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, oh, thanks, man. That was a crazy weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a whole lot of fun that weekend. I, I think that, like, when I think about how I would continue to make G.I. Joe relevant, I would go back and read Hama's run, and I would kind of try and find the Rogue One story in there, I guess. Like, I would find another team that was working while the other comic was going on, so you could go back and read and appreciate the old stories again. But you know, you would have new characters in the mix as well. Well, I think that. Well, I think one of the things I, I, I think you can tell these quote new stories using. There were so many GI Joes. What I'm trying to spit out right now, like <laughs> there are so many GI Joes. Yeah, we don't, don't need any more. Yeah. So is that one vote like for me? 
I'm, I'm still keeping score. And I'm a huge, I'm a huge, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Legion of Superheroes, right? I've got, I've got one tattoo in my body, and it's a Legion tattoo. I, whenever they do a new comic for the Legion, they always introduce like three or four new Legionnaires. I'm like, I don't need more Legionnaires. <laughs> There's so many. There's so many GI Joes. I think we can just, it's just about shifting focus. I don't need to be, I don't need to meet brand new ones. I just need to, let's shift focus and let's find a storyline that, that people are fans of that resonate with them. Mm. Well, let me, let me ask this. Do you think, cause we're all, we all have creative aspirations in different fields, probably all of us in, in this room. Mm-hmm. But can, do you think that fanboys, quote unquote fanboys can tell good fiction stories? Like they always say, oh, people that are too close to the material. They can't write the characters well. Do you agree with that, or? No, I disagree with that. I, I I think they can. I think I think a good writer can write anything, but mm-hmm. that's the difference. Is now, and I, and I don't mean just now, as in like the last ten years with social media, but literally since the internet, since you know bulletin boards where people can write fanfic, or but even before that, was Star Trek fanfic was the first one. The more your voice can be heard quote calling yourself like i'm a writer you know i don't mean to discourage people everyone can write but then it be it becomes it becomes that with that stereotype of what you just said comic book fandom the, those guys in the 70s they were comic book fans they were comic book fans from the you know from world war ii era when they were growing up they were fans just like you or i it's just that at the editorial level marvel and dc hired talented writers to tell those stories but roy thomas there's no bigger no bigger uh fan of the golden age than roy thomas right that's what he Mm -hmm. grew up on he wrote some of the best stuff in the avengers in the 70s he's the biggest fanboy you know look at um uh the kree scroll war where rick jones gets that power the kree power and he Mm -hmm. um you know and he manifests every single hero of the golden age that's fanfic Mm -hmm. you know that's total fanfic but it was it was written well and and we love it and it became a classic you know so I think it's just it's just a matter of weeding out a talented writer and then let them have it I'd much rather have that than someone who shows disdain for the property um, well like in my opinion like I don't think Zack Snyder likes to jump all over the board I don't think he particularly likes Superman as a character so to have him do the Man of Steel I was like what oh no I don't want you handling Superman. I, I guess I, I mean I agree that like uh, actually you know what I'm gonna pull the ripcord I lost my thought. <laughs> oh, is, that the, is that the Marlon Wayans ripcord or which ripcord? <laughs> Bongo the balloon. Bear. Well, that's that's nice. another thing. I feel like when they gender swap or, or or race swap an existing character, that's the opportunity to create a new character. You know what I mean? Like it almost I'm not gonna say pandering, but why not just create a character that feels new and authentic well i agree with that 100 percent. i don't like when they just gender swap her. i'm not a fan of that um i think it's i think the stronger characters the characters that are going to last with longevity are ones that are created from you know as their own beings with their own purpose look at um look at miles morales for example who i actually enjoy quite a bit i've read him since day one i've probably literally read every issue of of I, the only book i've not read with him in it i think is champions I've got every appearance of Morales Morales, and I love it. I really like that character. He's talking to a young kid in in school, and he goes, "Oh, yeah, he's you know he's at a, a comic shop," and the kid said something about, "Well, what's his motivation?" And I looked at him, I went, "I don't know." 
Spider-Man has, you know, Uncle Ben, right? I don't know what Miles' motivation is. And the reason is because he's a spin-off of Spider-Man at the end of the day. He doesn't have his own motivation, and that's a flaw in that character. As much as I like that character, it is a flaw. Spider-Man has the great power, great responsibility. Miles doesn't have any of that. It's all very continuity-laden of, oh, his uncle was a jerk, and his mom and dad are getting divorced, and wah, 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 where Spider-Man is clean. Oh, he got powers, got ego, egocentric, his uncle got whacked, and now he's got to do the right thing, period. And that's one of the problems you get when you spin off the characters, when you turn Amadeus Cho from who I thought Amadeus Cho was an amazing character. I loved him just as Mastermind Excello and just as Amadeus Cho, a really smart kid who could do all this great stuff, and I loved him as a supporting character. Now he's just an also-ran Hulk. I don't like that at all. I stopped reading the book, and I loved Amadeus Cho when he was supporting Hulk and Hercules and all that stuff because they're not as pure. They're not They're not the pure thing. Figure out a new pure hero and let that person be whatever whatever agenda you want to hit, male, female, you know, um, racial, uh, LGBT, do is do something new with it, and that I guarantee you that character will resonate further than just yeah. re- rehashing and spinning off. Oh, I fully agree. Get the parable right, you know. Get the get the moral. Get get that going, you know. Because I mean, what was Spider-Man's greatest strength as a character? Well, he was a nerd. He was essentially what comic book readers were back in the day when they were reading Spider-Man. So mm-hmm. all of the problems Spider-Man was having was the same problems its readers were having, mm-hmm. and these were like. It was a it was a paradigm that could be you know shared between two two different things uh, like an artwork and and a character that's completely fictional and then real people and then as Spider-Man grew up those fans also grew up because then it was also a case of okay you have to get an apartment you have to pay for bills it's really hectic now being a superhero and worrying about all of that bill paying stuff you have to marry a supermodel <laughs> you have to marry a supermodel because that's wish fulfillment but but like. But yeah, you know, we had yeah. with power comes great responsibility and that whole spiel. But then we also have, well, I'm a geek with like superpowers and I'm surprisingly not a serial killer. <laughs> so, you know, and that was cool. And, and, and I like the moral fiber that came with characters like that or with Spider-Man. And which is why I'm, I'm a big Spidey fan still today. But, you know, like I fully agree with what you said. I, I think um, I think you're 100 percent right. We need proper motivation. We need pathos. We need, yeah, we need morals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to speak. I think one of the one of the issues, though, the real world issues with why we are getting so many, um, I don't retreads or, or remakes, whatever we want to refer to it, is uh, is ownership issues. Mm-hmm. You know, some of your best writers. They're, they went off to Image and they're doing the best comic book work because Marvel doesn't want to give them ownership or DC doesn't want to share the money in them. If they take, if they have a brilliant idea for a character, they they're yeah. not going to give it to Marvel because Marvel's mm-hmm. just going to say we own it in our movies and our, and then you're going to sit there as as a really talented creator, artist, writer, whichever you are, and you're going to be you're going to watch your guy in the Avengers and you're like, yeah, they paid me fifty thousand dollars, but. They're making five, you know, one billion dollars, and you're like, well, what's the motivation for me to give you my great ideas? So mm-hmm. when they do a retread of Amadeus Cho, now they do a movie version of Amadeus Cho. Well, he's a spinoff of the Hulk, so it doesn't count. We don't have to pay you whatever the creator royalty is. I think that's a major, major problem with all this, with all the the big corporate two uh, companies. 
And I, I don't know the way around that. Cause I love, I, I'm a front runner, man. Like I love Marvel and DC. I love superheroes. I love mainstream stuff. I'm not a huge indie comics guy, but do all these great ideas aren't being used in the main books. Yeah. Bring it back to Jojo. I mean, I think you definitely have to really motivate creating a new character because yeah, as, as we've said, there are so many Jojos. I mean, there's, there's fifties, hundreds of them. Um, you can bring any of those ones to the fore and they're already set up in, in, in a way. I mean, with all the file cards, there's already something, a thread to pull off and go, go away with that, you know, and create interesting stories with them. So yeah, I'd say, I mean, yeah, new Jojo characters map might be interesting, but you really have to motivate why are you creating this guy and not using Lifeline or, or Scoop? Why aren't you using Scoop? Yeah. That's two votes I hear. <laughs> I don't need another G.I. Joe medic. I feel like we've been introduced so many medics, and yet for a show slash cartoon that no one actually gets hurt, why do we need to do minor medics? <laughs> well, we needed Lifeline because Doc was killed, so... Mm. But then we got another African-American medic, Stretcher, and it just occurred right. to me, like, you know, if you wanted to find a way around the race swapping of Ripcord uh, in the first G.I. Joe movie, you could just call him Alpine. Alpine, oh. Alpine was a pretty whimsical character. And, you know, why not have a Wyans brother play him? Come on. Well, you just needed a lunkhead bazooka with a sort of Burt Reynolds moustache. <laughs> Comic duo. Bam. I was fine with the race swapping because what, what, what was weird for me about the ripcord change was that he wasn't, he was an aspiring pilot. Hmm. He wasn't a yeah. halo. Make him a halo. Make him what he was, halo. Don't make him, I want to be ace. If you, if you want an ace, just make him ace. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's why, like, you almost need fans writing G.I. Joe because the file cards are so important because we read them hundreds of times. Like, no other, it's not like, well, I guess you could read what a stormtrooper was from Star Wars over and over. But <laughs> it, it, there's just so much more, like, harmonic resonance with the characters. I think G.I. Joe is maybe one of the only franchises I can think of where there's so much in print about the characters. I just wish... I, mean, I, I, I read over the weekend that there's a, a writer's room uh, being put together to workshop ideas for this solo Snake Eyes movie. I just wish someone like one of us was just invited for a call, as a guest. Way, Hasbro. Okay, I'll volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that anyone listening to this would be in a better position than most of these Hollywood, you know, writers who do their research, but also, you know, they're pressed for time. They're, they're churning out scripts all the time. Like, this isn't their... They don't live, eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff. I wish they would just reach out to us and get, you know, an interview done or just, like, a point of departure or or some ideas. Well, I can't tell you how... I can't tell you, and I'm not joking here, how many times... I've had people come into the shop because we're, you know, we're very close to studios and stuff. Like we're spitting distance of, um, was it, uh, Paramount? And they're they're like, oh, I'm a writer on whatever property, and they've never read that character before, and they are we are we we literally are introducing them to fill in the blank Punisher, Luke Cage, you know, whatever any of these characters. And they're like, yeah, I got hired on. I'm a writer on the show. And I'm like, you have, you don't know anything. You don't know anything about this character. And they're bringing you on to be a writer on, on whatever show, movie, TV. I, I, and it's maddening to me. Maddening. 
Well, the writer-director of Black Panther uh, had never read a Black Panther, I believe, before he was tapped for the project. Well, I, you know, I, okay. I mean, I, you know, I I guess it's, it's not a hard and fast rule, but. There's exceptions to every rule. I mean, there's the, 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 the properties that like Marvel is killing it because it has good leadership. I mean, the, the people know that the characters have to be true to the character. Yeah, and I do think and Coogler is very talented uh, director. I also you're I think you're right with the Marvel one where they have so many people shepherding those characters that Coogler Coogler could have been like Black Who and you still would have had a strong movie. Not maybe not, he brings a well, very high level of talent, but I definitely so Joe, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. So is it you that we have to thank for like a good Punisher and good first Daredevil series because you and your team at Golden Apple uh, at at your comic store have basically like you know very, guided guided these writers in the right direction. It's very Thanks. funny. It's very well. You're welcome. And it's very funny you say that because uh, one of the uh, one of the writers on the first season of Daredevil absolutely is uh, a friend of the store, and we see him all the time at the store. And one of the writers on the Punisher series not only is a good friend of the store, uh, he's a really nice guy, Ken Christensen. So there was a scene in one of the episodes. I, I don't know how well versed you guys are on it, but there's a scene where um, Punisher is. Um, He's beating the hell out of a, um, of a of a goon, and he throws him into a pinball machine. Yep. Do you remember that scene? I know that one. I did know that, look, that one. I know that, where it's from. Did that look yeah. familiar to you? Yeah, big time. <laughs> that, that was that was just a toy, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. So when I saw that, I, I next time I saw Ken, I was like, "Hey, you you you, you grabbed that bit from the toy," and he looks at me, he goes, "Actually, I grabbed it from you. You <laughs> sold me that toy." He goes, "You <laughs> sold me select, that toy." Wasn't it? Yeah, it was a Marvel Select yeah. toy, and apparently I talked him up and was like, you got to check this out, blah, blah, blah. He goes, I brought it to the writer's room, and everyone loved it so much that they decided to incorporate it into the show. So, yes, Golden Apple absolutely has had an impact on the things you see. Well, when <laughs> yes. the writers of <laughs> Snake Eyes solo movie come into your store, I want you call to me. Yeah, call me. Let, <laughs> let, let me know exactly what you told them. Hundred <laughs> percent. Or hell, if I can video, if I can video conference with them at the time, I'd I'd love to give them a piece of my mind. Yeah, and, and Hasbro, if you guys are listening, uh, now you know the secret to a successful property, TV property. I mean, look how good Punisher and Daredevil were, and that was just because of three or four words exchanged from a comic shop guy to a customer. <laughs> uh, well, imagine. Imagine the possibilities. I will Imagine say this, though. Imagine having these four minds on tap. Oh Five minds. Oh, my word. I, I, will, I will say this. I have to admit, though, I did at one point have a conversation with uh, the costume designer for Suicide Squad. Oh. So not everything Ooh. can go the right way. Not everybody yeah, listens. Costumes man. were pretty cool. <laughs> they were. No, they were. They did look good. But the, but the conversation I had with her was specifically about Harley Quinn. And I was really, really pleading with her to not make her uh, a whore for lack of intents and purposes and that the yeah. good 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 girl harley works better as a character because you don't expect a good girl to like beat you over the head with a bat exactly. uh, but when, when you look like a serial killer you will expect a serial killer and and she she nodded she was very nice and she's like yeah i get that but i, I think they kind of want to go with the sexy look i was yeah. like oh that's 
That's too bad. And now teenagers <laughs> everywhere are yeah right. Oh. ass <laughs> hanging out everywhere. Well, yeah, and now now parents everywhere uh, have to have to explain to their daughter why they don't want to buy them a daddy's little monster T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, you may have been joking around. I think that there are industry insiders that that are in Joburg on the regular because I throw it in their face all the time. Hi, Hasbro. Like people that are ambassadors for a brand are coming from the grassroots like this is uh, uh, uh you know joe's not asking for this endorsement gi joeberg's not asking for this endorsement this is just cujo but like joe on joe has a platform he's a respected voice in a community like we need these people involved in the brand I, i'm not i'm not dissing anything that's happening right now Very i'm nice. saying that that's where we're going we got we got to have voices is that well, unfair for me to say that? Uh, thank you. I love it. Um, I do have a couple of pitches for comic books, so IDW, let's talk. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another and thing. That's- do you think IDW is going to keep all the properties? The The contract is up. We don't have to discuss that. I'm just curious. They, they're not going anywhere, are they? Is that, we, we, hands off. Honestly, we, we don't honestly, have to don't, discuss that. I don't know. The G.I. Joe books don't sell is the sad part. They don't. Mm-hmm. They don't sell. They. I, I enjoy the shared universe, uh, like blowing them out like that. But the GI Joe properties don't sell. Transformers, I think, does. Um, Which think, IDW GI Joe run pulled you in the deepest? Oh, the Cobra stuff by far. Oh yeah. hell yeah! Everybody sure. says that. Yeah, Cobra was great. Cobra was well, fantastic. I have the more and more I look at Shaley's work, I wish that guy had a podcast or something, because he really put in the time. Like that's a beautiful piece of work oh, right there. Oh, the um the Transformers GI Joe crossover thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. not saying I agree with all the themes, but was, I'm just glad somebody took the time. Yeah, it was great. It was yeah, I thought it was awesome. And that's the kind of fun stuff I think they should do more with. Yeah, we love the '80s, and this yeah. is how much. <laughs> well, yeah. I I think well, for I think for the IDW stuff, they got off track in the run right before Audrey Citizens, where um everyone was dressed in plain clothes and it was like a real like terrorist hunting organization i couldn't tell who was who at all for a good solid year or two's worth of of comic books and that's that's a big problem it may not be realistic but for the most part there's very few current monthly comic book artists who can hit a monthly deadline that can accurately represent a human a human likeness exactly without using a costume hundred totally it's impossible to do so when they go oh they need to be real and they need to all be in the same fatigues or this or that that. no 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 it may not it may not fit your form of realism but you got to put them in you got to put them in costumes because as a reader i can't keep track of who's talking and when i can't keep track of who's doing what i don't care well exactly and the only no pull me <laughs> no, it's really characters that sell really well as toys and plain clothes are the Walking Dead uh, dead characters, you know. Yeah, but yeah. Tiger so, Force, by what, the way. What? I'll say this though: even with even with Walking Dead, let's look at what you've got. You've got very distinct. You know, they say the the best designed character is someone you can just determine who they are by their silhouette, and you have that in the Walking Dead. You've got Rick with yes, the cowboy yes. hat. You've got Michonne with the dreadlocks. You know, you've got um. Uh, the uh, the little kid Carl, you know, who also wears the Carl. cowboy hat, but but he's shorter, you know. Deegan's got the bat. Like they all have their distinguishing looks, and yes, it's all in tones of gray and everything, but they do stand out. The the popular ones, of course. 
Getting back to Joe, I would lobby that they all have their signature looks, but spiraling out from that, and this is going to be uh, a, a creative note that, that I will take with me to my grave. I mean, no one's ever going to actually uh, act on this cue. I wish there would be a film studio that eventually does, but or a, a t comic book title beyond Tom Skerley. But G.I. Joe works best as a period piece, man. It's that late Cold War, Probably uh, right. like early to mid-80s world, you know, where the F-14 was still the coolest jet, and, you know, the bad guys could roll around in, like, tanks that look like, you know, sports cars on treads. Like, mm -hmm. that kind of fantastical opulence, that needs to be dusted off. Uh, you're, you're not wrong. That's exciting to me. Uh, and so, like, a, a solo Snake Eyes movie could be a Vietnam war flick meets yeah. sort of 80s chop socky kung fu movie meets, like, yeah. a Bondian spy movie. I mean, it's just got all these cool... Coming home meets Enter the Dragon. Bam, there we go. Yeah, Dude, exactly. You're straight out of a comic book. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, honestly, that would be beautiful. I think you're still right. It, it does work in that sweet spot. Uh, we've said this a lot uh, on my pod of you know, people ask, like, why do you think it's been popular? I think the, the concept of fantasizing and fetishizing military is a lot easier when you don't have friends and loved ones actively involved in a war during the eighties. It was the cold war. You, you know, you didn't have people going off to war left and right. And then when the, uh, the first Iraq war hit and things started getting militarized again, what happened to the Joe line for various reasons, but it stopped being as popular, right? Hmm. Then nine 11 hits. How are you going to fetishize that with children when your, your, your older brother went off or this person went off, you know? Um, and now we've been in a 16-year protracted war against terrorism, against, quote, terrorists. And G.I. Joe's going to have a hard time fitting in with that. So well, I think you're right. By, by setting it in a time period, you, you help to avoid that. G.I. Joe is also one of the few brands, along with Star Wars, that, that could be scalable. I mean, like, it's now for adults. And, like, I, I'm not mentioning Trump. I'm saying that his a lot of his ideals are very close to Reagan's. Like, we're on a loop, you know what I mean? So, I mean, like, Reagan would slap you can portray Cobra Commander and say, oh, no, we're talking about Reagan or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, yeah, it is a period piece, but that period is still relevant. No, I mean, there's well, enough. I said all that to say that. <laughs> yeah. There's enough anything, the concept, yeah. Con concept of, of a con man huckster rising to the top of a, uh, you know, quasi-illegal organization to take over a country. I think, if anything, that has more relevance today than anything. Hell <laughs> oh, yeah. Preach. And there's such a fetishization of the 80s as well in general these days that also yes. sending yeah. it back then, it, it, yeah, as I mean, as Stephen was kind of saying, was that then the Cobra is more fantastical. And, I mm -hmm. mean, the 80s almost becomes, I wouldn't say a fantasy fantasy setting, but it is, it's so far removed from the way that life is today, the interconnectivity, the internet, and whatever else that we have, um, that it can become its own little setting. And as you said, Joe, it, you can kind of, you can romanticize in a way the, the yeah, the, the military again. You can't, by removing it mm -hmm. from our context now, it's a lot easier to kind of accept it. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not to mention nailing their signature looks elevates the G.I. Joe and Cobra characters 
out of being purely soldiers with guns to being superheroes. Mm. Why the hell does Shipwreck wear his bell-bottoms and his teacup hat? <laughs> That's not a practical Navyman's uniform these days. Cause no, he's because he's a snappy dresser. Bam! Because he's, you know, it's tryouts for the YMCA that week. Whatever. It was! <laughs> he, he has a look. Airtight has a look, you know? He yep. goes onto the yep. battlefield wearing bright orange because he's out to handle, you know, chemical, biological, radiological weapons. Like... That's his superpower. And draw fire. His... <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of fire, you know, you've got a flamethrower expert. He's wearing snappy colors too, like lifelines in red. I have a zero problem with the more outrageous palettes of G.I. Joe because I think of them as more than just soldiers. They are superhuman men and women. They are aspirational mm. figures. Mm. Uh, I think you can have it both ways. And I think you can excite new audiences as well as make us old curmudgeons happy and it's with that point that I, I say that I'm really enjoying the kind of response that um, these little YouTube webisodes that G.I. Joeberg has been shooting is getting we're getting responses from Joe fans and their kids you guys <laughs> are getting great uh, yeah you guys I, I see the numbers on that it's fantastic well you know it's modest but it's Wonderful to know that it's being watched and being watched by the next generation. I think if you've won them over to like the fun of GI Joe, then you've won. You've got a a new uh, audience, an ever expanding one. Though I mean, you want to hook the kids at the end of the day. We're we're a dying breed, us old fans. We're not dead yet. Yeah, but we are dwindling. <laughs> yeah, we're still relevant. Where the money is. You want to make money, you want the theater filled with kids. Mm. I am. Well, you can also make money by appealing to adults, and then a network options your property, and then it makes a bunch of money in, in syndicate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the American dream. I don't know about the money, man. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, well, look at me. I'm, a, I'm an actor. What do I know about money? Um, but the you cannot go wrong by catering widely by having a hook that works both with the nostalgia junkie fans, us, and the next generation, our kids, who want colorful characters, funny, you know, humor thread that that is universal. And I think G.I. Joe can have all that. Mm. Well, well I, Lego does it. So. I'm not going to say where I heard this, but somebody was saying that, like, uh, and I'm, I'm curious, one more comic book store question, but before that... Uh, like, I'm curious, G.I. Joe is one of those properties where you could have, like, five comic books running at once that were all the same universe, but different styles. Like, you could have Hama on American Hero. You could have uh, somebody writing a Dreadnought book. You know, somebody writing uh, uh, an October Guard book. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And me writing G.I. Joe 1985. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's actually yes. not bad, dude. It's calling it the year. Oh, Stephen, you might have stumbled on something. Uh, I stumbled on it a while ago, but I stopped off at uh, 1983. I never got any further. <laughs> that that's still yeah, it might still see print on or, or digital print on Kindle World. Well, listen, I'll I'll let uh, Stephen. When you asked me to be on this, I was like, oh, I got two ideas. I'll let that one cat out of the bag because I think it's fairly obvious. I think what it, it, going along with what you're saying, they've seen success with. Uh, 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer season nine, season ten, whatever. We need comic, to get we need yeah. to get a comic book series that picks up after the GI Joe the movie, mm. ignoring the DIC set in that continuity. Just call it yes. Joe eighty five or eighty six or I know the movie was eighty seven. So whatever you want to call it, and Good it's God. that that continuity and and there's so it's so rich because there were so many crazy stories they told there. Draw it in that little kind of quasi animated style. Use those characters. You could introduce the new ones that they came, but now with the, with the knowledge of you know, their actual popularity, not just forcing them down our throat. Ignore DIC. Tell me, call it G.I. Joe season three or Sun, but G.I. Joe Sunbow season three, whatever it is. That's that would be that could sit alongside the Hama stuff and the people would eat that up. Mm, I, I think I'd, I'd go with a number as well. Eighty eight, because for many G.I. Joe fans, if you're a fan of the toys, that year's toys were effectively a blank spot in the cartoon uh, episodes. You had the the cutoff of the the movie stuff being the '87 team, then the DIC stuff started out with Dragonfire in '89. So effectively, guys like Hit and Run, Hardball, Budo, Lightfoot, they only got treatment in the comic books, and a very light one at that. They had a few mm-hmm. special missions appearances, uh, which uh, that that was kind of their playground because obviously the regular continuity just dealt with mainly the core group of G.I. Joes and Cobras and featured the new toys every once in a while. But G.I. Joe 1988 is that kind of, like, the lost year. Ah, oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, it picks squarely up from uh, the 87 movie. It might totally. catch, catch yeah. flack from people who weren't fans of Cobra Law, but I think you can win them over with nostalgia appeal. Like, everything's rose-tinted at this point. Yeah, you redeem Cobra Law by telling good stories that that you know come from it. There's there's nothing. Mm. There's the old saying like that in comics. There's no bad characters. Like you can always redeem a character. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I want I want more stories about the animated version of Snake Eyes. You know, like I want more stories about like what his life was like because we never got that in the in the in the old cartoon mm. because they were afraid to explore uh, a mute dude who wore a mask. You know. Yeah, I, I think that would be an absolute winner. Of, of, well, a, of a comic book. You could get a more simple line artist, too, because you'd be aping the cartoon, yeah? Yeah, yeah exactly. Huh. Yeah, and I've got a style... Well, I mean, I'm just throwing myself out there, but I've got Russ a style... Heath's designs like, were not simple, man. They were beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I've also got a very clean style that's also complicated, but also feels right with the animated aesthetic, if that makes sense. Mr. Heath produced amazing work for that cartoon. Uh, I don't know. He probably had a team behind him, but like... Oh, it definitely the, did. The presentation of oh. the vehicles and the character yeah. designs, beautiful. The show is great, absolutely. up front but by way of sort of introduction at this late stage of the game mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> all, all, all of our guests well you also surprised me with this at the end of the Joe and Joe episode uh, yeah. asking me for my, um, my my character specs um, but I'd like to know from you what your favorite G.I. Joe action figure was your favorite G.I. Right. Joe uh, G.I. Joe Cobra so uh, favorite toy uh, figure was your favorite vehicle 
And since you are a self-professed more comic book guy than toy guy, um, your favorite item, or uh, let me specify, your favorite issue. So favorite okay. figure, favorite vehicle, favorite issue. Bam. Okay. Uh, figure from the action figures, I always loved Blowtorch. No way. Yeah, I was I was I was a Master Snake Eyes fan, but you kind of almost always have to set him aside. Okay. I loved Blowtorch because I loved I loved his look. I loved that his gun popped into the back of the pack. He had a face like the gas mask face mask that that could be removed. Um, yeah, I really like Blowtorch. Prior to 1984, I mean, like the, no no one had equipment as as involved as Blowtorch. I'm sure yeah, he, he just yeah. did he blow your mouth your mind back in the day. Yeah, it really captured my imagination mm. and um just the, the this idea of like this tiny little thing with all these accessories. You know, the bigger the bigger the toy usually you had more the accessories, but like here was this little dude and he just had all these cool stuff. I really like Blowtorch. Um I have never had first hand experience with the vintage Blowtorch action figure. Yeah, my it's way. cool. Does the the, yeah, the, 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 the plaque cool. from the mask does it clip into his chest? It does. Badass. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was great. So I was a fan of Blowtorch. So vehicle, I love the hovercraft. Oof. Same kind of idea. Like the more the more toyetic things on it. So like the hovercraft was great. I had the Terradrome, but that's so cool and so massive. I'm going to take that out of the running because it's just Terradrome <laughs> was the best. Um, you know, I never had the flag or anything. Uh, yeah, the hovercraft because it had and you could even when you were like, oh, I'm I'm almost out of things to play with. You're like, oh no, wait, there's a hatch on the bottom of it that you're supposed to store your file cards, but instead you could put a figure in it. You know, like like there was always some place to hide on the, on the hovercraft. Nice. And a little, little bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little, little circus bike. bike. <laughs> yes. Screw guys, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, all right, let's see here, guys. You got uh, you got all these cannons. All right, yes. You got swivel eight swiveling missiles that, that fire out of these two launchers. <laughs> yes. You've got depth charges. I think there were like six different depth charges that could drop off. Yes, we got that. You got a place for the captain to stand with a uh, with a, a, a see-through canopy, mm. like a windshield. Yes, nice. we got that. You got a you got an opening bay door in the front that, that serves as like a landing ramp. You could fit a motorcycle in there, and you could fit like six actual characters in there. Yes. You've got two swivel machine guns to have more characters in there. Yes. You've got a ski, uh, like a, a water ski mm-hmm. boat that fi- literally fires out the front. That just comes out the front. You press the button, and it shoots out. Yes, it does. You've got a compartment on the bottom that you could store your file cards or other or whatever else you want to store in it. Yes, it does. It needs something else. <laughs> How about a little motorcycle? You got it. Just solved the now mystery of the hovercraft. Now we've got to complete a little motorcycle. Yeah, I love it. The hovercraft is great. It's like a clown car. I mean, like you just yeah. need to like hook up a trapeze wire and have someone, oh. you know, preferably roadblock, like yes. <laughs> riding this <Ooh>. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my word! Oh. Uh, okay. And, and so then the third question was: Was your favorite issue of the comic book? Oh, my favorite issue. Yeah. Uh, I I really loved uh, the assault on Cobra Island. I loved the assault on Springfield. The cover of the Mike Zek cover with Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow in the in the doorway was just stunningly amazing. Mm. Um. <laughs> Honestly, I gotta say, I think the one that's for me stands out is not 21, but uh, is it 20? No, 20 is clutch falling from the sky. Mm. 19 is the one. 19 is the one with Destro playing chess. 
Um, I think so. What I think so. Yeah, I'm mine as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got I've got my book in front of me. Kujo loves chess playing Destro. Yeah, like. If they ever do like a thicker variant of like Destro with chessboard, Cujo is going to be on that. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, it was. It's hey, it's, it's nineteen. Uh-huh. It's nineteen. It's Destro playing chess, and I loved it because that was um. It was an expensive issue at the time for me, and uh, I it was the first comic book that I paid twenty dollars for. That I like. I like. I wow. Stopped. Oh no, 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 that's not nineteen. It's uh. It's twenty two. Klaus Jansen cover. And it's Destro playing chess and knocking him over with a rattler, and that—that uh, that was an issue that was uh, it was on the wall at my store, and it was like twenty bucks, and uh, and I was I don't know thirteen, fourteen years old, you know, and, and I was like, I need that book, I need it, I Correct. want it. Correction, isn't that the one with that Barry uh, general flag? Uh, it might be, yeah, it might be. I just looked it up. It's issue twenty-two. Oh man. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, yes, it is. It is. They are burying him in it. I'm flipping through it right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the one they buried. The one him. thing that Zach could convey mm-hmm. on those GI Joe covers is everything looked so desperate. Every cover, you're like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to say it's isn't it the first appearance of uh, Roadblock and, and Duke? Affirmative. And the first appearance of Cobra's Rattler, though it was in a kind of a a prototype presentation it didn't didn't look quite right they refined its look but it's about time though because in all those early issues so we're on uh so i started a second podcast called the joe and joe illustrated oh punt away bro yeah well that's where they're go- we're going through each issue issue by issue and i'm about to record issue 15 so i haven't gotten this one yet so my, my memories i haven't i'm reading them fresh as i go through but all those early issues they don't there's not enough cobra vehicles so the artists who are solid, really strong Marvel artists, all these designs look like stuff out of Shield or Fantastic Four. Like they're very comic booky airplanes. So to see Colbert get their own Rattler in it, that was really huge. That was important. It's, it's worth mentioning. Uh, I, I caught your uh, interview with Hama on your Joe on Joe Illustrated podcast. If, mm-hmm. if you're out there and you have not caught that, run that down. But I liked how you gave context to the time era, like what other properties were releasing oh, yeah. at that time that for me i didn't expect that joe you you're very modest about uh punting your podcast it is excellent because it gives a <laughs> historical cross-section of what the other major uh, comics pu- publishers were putting out that same month and yeah. that is fascinating to me you've got a great grasp of the history and like and not only the history but like a, a qualitative view of what those books were like you know, mm-hmm. you're not speaking from a cold historical fact of like, oh, this is what the sales figures were like, blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff is included, but you speak personally about what the other books were looking like or feeling like or whether they were met with good reception or if they were, you know, canceled after the next issue. Like, that's fascinating, man. Well done. Thank you. Man. Well that done. That means a lot. That means a lot. Thank well, you. Well, your, your hard work and your acumen really pays off, man. Like... Yeah, it's a it's a compelling listen. Let me let me take a, a heel turn on you real quick. You're from <laughs> Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah. Were you a Bears fan? Oh, absolutely, still am. Dude, do you want to know something that will make your blood boil real quick? Uh, I love Don Mikowski. You love who? Don Mikowski. Remember the instant oh. replay game in '89? Oh yeah, he broke. Uh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's I just, when I heard you were from Chicago. I was like, oh wow. I wonder if he remembers that game. Well, that's um. Well, he was quarterback for uh, Green Bay, right? 
Yeah, well, he had like blonde flowing locks. Right. I just right. loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Green Bay is uh, a, a wonderful nemesis, but um, garbage, garbage team. <laughs> <laughs> I say that they've they've been fantastic for 25 years, but um, you know, we do what we can. Uh, yeah, very very territorial over the Bears. And what's funny is, like, all this stuff. This was 85 Bears. They were like, they were everything to us. So like all this GI Joe, all these memories, all these distinct images, it's all wrapped around that eight to 12 year old age, you know, where everything was setting in stone. And so like this, I'm reading these books and I'm like, oh, the Bears were terrible during this time. Or <laughs> oh, this this episode aired. Uh, I did one of one of the regular ones with the cartoon. It it aired the week before. The Bears won the Super Bowl, and I happened to do it with one of my best friends of the world, Matt Tease. And so we were just reveling in the Bear 85 Bearness. It was like January of 86. And we're like, oh, my God, dude, what we were doing when we first saw this episode. It was fun. McMahon was a rock star. Oh, yeah. McMahon was a dreadnought. If, if we ever chatted up, we got to go. We got to go into the Bears Packers. Absolutely. Yeah, McMahon, Jim McMahon would have been uh, if, if Fridge was a uh, GHO member. McMahon, McMahon absolutely should have been a dreadnought. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We're talking about rugby, are we, guys? <laughs> uh, I maybe I was listening to an episode of What's on Your Mind. <laughs> uh, oh, jeez. You could just hear the South Africans in the room fall silent at the mention of yeah. uh, American football. I mean, we never get to see <laughs> Sorry it. Sorry about that. No, it's quite all right. It's, uh, it's just, it's very, very much a uh, continental United States thing. And like, I just, the rest of the world never got the memo, I guess. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing, though, because then there would be a lot more uh, brain damage throughout the world. <laughs> I don't know, man. At least uh, you guys have helmets. <laughs> there, well, there are some serious problems with, with with football players and mental health. So let's hope they <laughs> let's hope they resolve that. Jeez. It's like putting yourself in a boxing ring, surely. Well, so there's well, actually, that's a good question for you guys. When um when the fridge was a character. Did that mean anything to you? Were you like, who's this dude? Like what? You know, what was what was your reaction to that? I think I first saw a mail-away offer for, like, excess fridges uh, in a comic book issue. And this was when G.I. Mm-hmm. Joe was doing sort of re- reprints, uh, Tales of G.I. Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. And this was some years after he had initially been offered. I just thought, this guy's so silly. Why doesn't he have a gun? He's got a... <laughs> <laughs> like Football on a stick! Football on a, what is that? <laughs> this is laughable. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I was coming up into the era of like 1988 and 89 Joes, and those guys were all armed to the teeth. You know, so many, so many weapons they didn't have enough hands to carry them. Captain Gridiron's footballs were at least grenades, and he could throw them. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. You know your toys, man. You you uh, you can you can afford yourself a double billing of being comics and toys guy. Oh, thank <laughs> you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think for me the fridge was just like oh. No, he was just up there like with hardball and stuff. I was like, oh, okay, it's another sports enthusiast, Joe. Cool. <laughs> yeah, but hardball had a multi-shot grenade launcher. So he did, but like he wasn't like a famous real-life sports star or anything. But that fame didn't extend to us. I mean, I think I think getting back to the question, Joe, like yeah, the fridge would have never had any kind of sell or say, you know, it would never sell here because. We don't know who this yeah. guy is. Well, and if he doesn't come sold. with cool accessories or has a cool look, right. then nothing is selling this figure to me. And, and for so you guys know, like there were very few 
sports figures as popular as William the Refrigerator Perry in that 1985, 86, 87 era. Hmm. Like, he was a cultural phenomenon. Oh, really? Because he was so good. Yeah, oh, because he just was a massive. Now you look at you look at football players now, and they make Fridge look kind of small comparative, compared to what he actually weighed and his physical size. But back then, football players were not that big. So you got this massive dude who then then they gave the ball to. He wasn't just playing defense. He actually was a run. He ran. He threw like, and he's got like he was missing the tooth. He had this great <laughs> like southern hospitality charm to him. Fridge was such a popular pop culture character. It it made total sense for GI Joe to be like let's let's make you a Joe. Let's make you a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of, do you remember that old cartoon? It was called Pro Stars. It had it was Wayne Gretzky and a baseball player and a American football player and they would be like these superheroes. I kind do. Of thing. I I sort of do. Yes. It was a Deke series, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow, of course it was Deke. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it kind of reminds me of that. Like, Hardball and all of them kind of sort of remind me of, like, okay, so these are the guys that are maybe a bit too hardcore to join the pro stars. Yeah. But then I, I kind of lament not having a, a Wayne Gretzky G.I. Joe. <laughs> oh, my God. Was, I loved I was a huge Gretzky. Yeah, it was Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky. Oh, there we go, God. Bo Jackson. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I sort of vaguely remember this. Oh, it's terrible. That's crazy. And then, by the same token, and this might, um, at the risk of excluding uh, you and Cujo here, but guys, can you imagine Nick Mallet as a G.I. Joe or like Nas Porter? <laughs> like a Nas G.I. Joe would be, it would be something. <laughs> well, Nas's grenades, football grenades, you know, you'd have to be able to kick them because, you know, he didn't ever pass. <laughs> no. He would just kick. <laughs> so like drop kick. Poof. Yeah, jeez. But what other sportsmen? Oh, definitely Oscar Pistorius, Blade oh. Runner. Well, he, well, he'd have to be. He'd be a cobra. He'd be a cobra. <laughs> Fresh out of jail. What would you call him? Uh, Blades, I suppose. Blades, yeah. They call him straight shots. Yeah, they'd call him Blade Runner. He's fresh out of jail. His legs are cybernetic knives. <laughs> Yeah, he'd be a total cobra. Oh, gee. We're entering a custom action figure into the Jocon customs contest. All of a sudden, I think uh, we should switch tracks and make that <laughs> switch <pistorious>. tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on fire tonight. Yeah, the edge of the blade. No, I, I think it's, oh, it's that, too um, soon. Oh, the girl who had those legs in um, the Kingsman movie. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. It'll be like that, yeah. I, like I do that. think there's a, a place for celebrity in G.I. Joe. I mean, it would be a great promotion. But I, I did want to ask one more thing about comic book shops to both of uh, Rob and Joe. I saw a tweet this week that had a comic book vending machine. Now, is that something that you feel like could benefit a comic book store or kind of like a bad thing? Because like, you could put indie comics or something in there. <laughs> I had I, I had that idea in 1999 i was fresh out of college and that was how i was, was going to make my make my way in the world and then um and then i realized i don't know anything about vending machines and i gave up on that idea okay i was like how are you going to get sarcasm into a vending machine no <laughs> no no yeah no sarcasm no that was it, was it was me trying to figure out how to make a living in comics and do something different and new and all this stuff and i and i was working it all out um, i think there was something there 
you know, it's it's all about putting comic books where people can get them. The spinner racks don't exist anymore. No, that's weird. Eh? That would be a one way of getting comic books back into like supermarkets, supermarkets, and other locations where you aren't really taking a risk of. I suppose people, well, not stealing them, but I mean, it would be a cool idea. And then yeah. you'd have to board them and bag them to make yes. it easier for them to go through the, the through the machine. So I mean, you actually you're benefiting by putting them into the vending machine. It could be an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. It makes sense for indies. Like, I can understand why established comics would want to do it. But, like, if you were kind of on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think there's absolutely some, too. You could put it in, you could put them in high schools, you know, school, like, you could put them in schools everywhere. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. I mean, then it couldn't work so much with indie comics because they wouldn't have the, the financial backing to kind of get new comics delivered to those things. The thing is, I think also comics have become so, well, not, not expensive, but obviously the, the quality of the comics is a lot more different than you know what we used to get newsprint comic and that. It's definitely a luxury item. Yeah, yeah. and they yeah. don't they don't print as many as they used to either. So it they would have to kind of upscale their production and lower the quality again, which I think it shouldn't be it wouldn't be too bad. I mean I think there's one current company I think it's called Alterna Comics, who mm-hmm. produce their comic books, you know using the old newsprint. I mean I haven't read any yet, but their prices are like ridiculously cheap. I think it's like one dollar fifty or less for a comic book on average. Mm-hmm. Oh, the nostalgia! Yeah, I think that, the, and the, the stories in general seem pretty interesting as well. Like, I do agree with a lot of the talking heads on YouTube and stuff. I do think that comics in an age where artists are getting squeezed out of other mediums, comics are an important medium. I just, do you think it'll eventually go digital? Is that inevitable? Mm. Uh, yeah, I think it is inevitable, but I think. I think it'll stop being comics because a digital comic, everything's different about it. There is the physical palpable sensation of holding a product, a visual product in your hand and your eyes take in the whole page all at once. And Mm -hmm. that's not, and that's not how digital comics are read that, you know, typically they go panel by panel. Yes, you can zoom out, but if you're zoomed out, you can't actually see, you know, like the word balloons, you know, what, what I'm actually waiting for is, one of the uh, Marvel or DC, if they're really serious about going digital, come out with a, a, a cheap, affordable comics browser that is the exact same size of an actual comic book. So it's a little larger than an iPad. You know, it doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles. It, all it does is, you know, can run comic books and that's your comic reader. I think that'll help. That will help the digital comics transition. I'm not a fan of digital comics, but I think when, quote, comic books move to digital, they stop being comic books and then it's just illustrated art, like yeah, digital art. Because I mean, the other thing with comic books is not just it's not just reading the story. It's about I mean, I mean not collecting as in like oh, I have a huge collection, but it's about buying those comics and getting them. And mm-hmm. you, you really do lose something when you move away from the physical copies of comics. I mean, I I think already we've lost a lot by moving into creating graphic novels. Because people don't, I think, tend to buy comic books as often as they used to because they're like, ah, I'll get that story eventually as a collection. Right. Mm. Yeah, that was a big argument, I think, about uh, seven years ago or whatever, like graphic novels or or trade paperbacks, like killing the comic industry. Mm -hmm. Are they killing the chase? Are they killing per-issue sales? And and are they killing continuity in comics? And and I don't know how that was ever resolved or what what was the outcome there, but uh, I... I don't see them stopping. I mean, I see graphic novels. Uh, it's weird. It's just like the trade paperbacks. Sorry, not graphic novels, but the trade paperback itself. I mean, 
you can find them in CNA, which is our local stationary news uh, agent here in South Africa. And they often come as part of these like part work collections, which are done by companies like Eagle Moss and whatever mm-hmm. that do like a, uh, yeah, like a twice monthly sort of graphic novel release. Uh, and it's like Batgirl. And then, you know, and, and when you put all of the comics on your shelf, it, you know, the spines create an artwork and it's, it's kind of like becoming that industry in a weird way as well. And I don't know how I feel about that because it's strange. It's just like, Yes, in one on in one hand it's like you're getting some of the best uh stories written comic books into people's hands and by getting them to sort of subscribe to a part work series, you're getting people to read things like Infinity Wars, which is not something people would have picked up because the artwork as cool as it as it is, it's eighties, nineties. So like a lot of people don't feel that art anymore. And they wouldn't like gravitate towards that normally. But hey, if it if it's part of just of your subscription and you end up reading it, then you're like, Oh, okay, cool. I've read, you know, one of the best comic book events yeah. in history, but it's just weird. Like, I suppose a byproduct of that is that people go, Oh wow, this is really amazing. I'd love to own all of these issues for real. Oh wow. They're $150. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll pass. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned you bring up the artwork. That's, that's a, that's a major factor in all this stuff too where new quote new comic fans they look at some of the older stuff and and they're they're not seeing that 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 artwork is the bridge upon which it's the, it's the bedrock that that new comics were built on you know there's a sometimes there's a reluctance to enjoying or appreciating some of the classic stuff and it's like no you don't understand every the a lot of the stuff that's being put on the shelves today aren't really the artwork may be flashy and shiny, but the storytelling is shit. Like it's yeah. terrible, like terrible <laughs> storytelling because they don't, you know, the, the artists don't want to do backgrounds. They don't, they don't pull the camera back to give you a sense of place. You know, they don't draw the, the, the headquarters that the team is hanging out in so that there's no sense of permanence to it. You know, it's just page after page of the modern comics are all close ups of people's faces and reaction shots and all this stuff. And it's like, Oh, that's not a really good comic book, but it's flashy, you know. Yeah, they take the Wally Wood thing a little too far. Yes, thank you for mentioning Wally Wood. We talk about that on Joe and Joe Illustrated. Whenever I see a panel that was inspired by Wally Wood, I'm, I always, I always point it out. Uh, Larry Homer is a is uh, is a self-professed uh, fan of Wally Wood. I mean, yeah. he often, I'm sure you've seen on his Facebook, he often will credit Wally Wood for this and that and whatever's and served as quite a kind of a mentor to him in some regards, I think, um, at least artistically and, and whatever. Well, I mean, I think, yeah. I think he, I think he was, I think it was literally, I think I'm pretty sure they ran in the same circles. Like I know Simonson ran in the circles with all those guys, like the crusty bunkers. Um, yeah. Yeah. They were all, they were all Wallywood. I believe Wally was a part of those guys. Like, uh, and, and he was a trouble too. There's a great, uh, I'm, I just started it. So I haven't finished it yet, but someone did a, uh, a, a wrote a book about Wally called Wally's world. And he was just for the little bit that I'm into it so far is he was a troubled dude personally, but his art is just so wonderful. And, and, and those are the kind of things that I want to see more of in, in modern comics. Uh, he's very, very, very like talky books, but like, great. There was a, uh, it's a comic book. I think Fargo was based on this comic book, but it's old. It's like, it was done in the nineties. It was a, I think it was only pressed at that. I like, I love how I know everything about it, but the freaking name right now. <laughs> but it also had to do with whiteout. Yes, whiteout. <laughs> yeah. 
I was about to say, Paul, you're in the right company to play this game. <laughs> I'm thinking of a comic book. It's got like a red cover yeah, with like Greg, yellow Greg lettering. Yeah. And... <laughs> yeah, they did a movie. They did a movie on it, and with um, uh, Kate Kate Beckinsale. Beckinsale speaking, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, it was the movie didn't turn out that great, but I think their heart was no. in the right place. No, because but that yeah that book I remember like I and and it's funny that I can't even remember the name because. I had a few loose issues of that lying around. Um, they were like throwaway issues from a shop that I used to frequent. And I remember learning a lot about panels and storytelling and uh, positive and negative space because those books were so well inked and mm-hmm. so well illustrated. And they had a very strong like Wallywood sense in them as Off well. Off the top of my head, I believe that was Steve Lieber was the artist on that. Yes. Yes, yes. That's and he yeah. comes from old school indie stuff, and I think he did. I think he did a lot of black and white work, which that book was black and white. And yeah, that uh, the, some of the best storytelling you get you get from black and white books because they're you know they know that they're not going to have uh, the art's not going to have the advantage of coloring to help make it pop. Like he has to whatever they're putting on the page is is the only tool they're going to have to draw your eye to whatever they need you to draw their eye to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 it's a control of tangents and everything, and it's mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And and I find that when I pick up modern comic books, I feel that a lot of that is missing these days. Oh, yeah. I, I see a lot of tangents in books. I see a lot of interesting layout quirks. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, not... don't get me wrong. I'm not like old school, and I'm not like, oh wow, these layouts are shit. I'm just like, I look at the layouts, and I'm like, I really like what they're trying to do. But if they're gonna do it this way, they should really. I don't know. I think an art director or stronger art director, or maybe old school art director, should have been like, "Hey, dude, you got tangents here. It's gonna break. It's gonna break your storytelling." You know. It's totally, gonna... totally. There's a um, and I and I don't want to. I actually don't want to name him just because I don't. I think he's a talented artist, but uh, he's he's a guy that's been doing some work on DC, and people love him, and they talk about like because it's it's he's got a very distinct style, and he's gotten a lot of work there, and I think his storytelling is absolutely garbage, but his. <laughs> His pictures are pretty though. His pictures are pretty. And, mm. but, and it's not even the, in that, um, like stereotypical, the way we used to talk about 90s image of like all pinups and it's all garbage. <laughs> you know, they don't know anatomy and all this. No, he knows anatomy and he knows this. But his storytelling is just, is just off the map terrible. But he, but people talk about him and, and I, I can't handle any of his books anymore. I can't. Mm. And it's too yeah, bad. Because- it's just, we need stronger, like you need a stronger editorial hand. No, I agree. And and I also want to punt two South African artists that are in the comic industry because, firstly, I know them, and secondly, they are – well, actually, to be – firstly, they're great artists. Secondly, I know them. <laughs> uh, the guy called Sean, Sean Isaacs, uh, I know he does some Avengers stuff at the moment. I don't know if he's on any of the Avengers main books. He just started Champions on number 19, I believe, with Jim Zab. I love his stuff. He's got such a great old school sensibility, but a very cool modern way of, of bringing that out. And I definitely think he, he needs some recognition. Um, and another guy called Jason Masters, he recently, the most recent project I know that he worked on was the 007, the James Bond comics. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, his stuff is awesome. I love his work. And also, once again, he's got that, that old school sensibility, but He's got like like a European feel to his comic books, so I can't think of a uh, a, a French artist now. But the guys who did like Diabolique, and mm-hmm. uh, he's got like that vibe going for his books, and it is so cool and it's that's, refreshing to see stuff yeah. like that. That's like old school, like Dick Giordano yes. style. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 
like it's very um, uh, Al Williamson. Uh, what I think of like Russ Manning, like that clean line, like almost almost comic strip style line work. Yeah, and yeah. it's like uh, half tone dots and all that kind of yeah. That's mm-hmm, very cool. mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, now that we've uh, been fanboys, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time we start wrapping up the show, guys. Unless anyone what has any a... burning issues they'd like to tackle before we all sign off. Your podcast not enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> we tend to uh, average around two-hour records and chop it down to it. about an hour fifteen. People, three people hour like to... <laughs> <laughs> <Or three hour. laughs> people tend to uh, listen to podcasts on their commutes, and uh, well, depending yep. on where you live, uh, yeah, an hour fifteen might just take you there and back, or just for there. Sure. Yeah, gee whiz, uh, I, I'm so glad I can cycle to work. <laughs> <laughs> but on the way out, important to say, you know, G.I. Joeberg, we're doing a thing. We are going to get three South African boys to G.I. Joe Con Chattanooga, Tennessee, 2018. So far, we're two-thirds of the way through our necessary funding. That means two <laughs> South African boys <laughs> can go to, uh, um, to Chattanooga. So if you guys are listening to this, and you don't want to break up the band, <laughs> and you love our stuff, and you love what we do, help us out. Like, $5. Guys, $5 would make a huge impact. If everyone listening to this gave us 5 bucks, we'd have our goal overnight. Uh, no joke. It's well within our grasp. Listeners, you don't know how much just a small amount means to um, to these guys, to us creators, when we're, you know, we're putting this, we're doing this stuff out of love, but... It, it it's also it's it's so nice to just hear from you guys and just a, just a couple of bucks it's like tipping it it's like when you're tipping at a restaurant you know mm. round up you know round up because that 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 dollar is going to help that waitress a lot more than it's going to hurt your pocketbook so let's help get these guys over there oh thanks joe and what's fun about the, the the gofundme is that it's 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 a very very tangible goal and it's a very finite amount of time it's starting to get really exciting will we make it won't we make it like it's uh Man, <laughs> if I was a warrior, it'd be keeping me up nights. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, you know, I, I knock a few, um, uh, you know, half jacks back, and, and I, I hit the head. <laughs> what also is what also is great is if they get you there, they're going to be rewarded because they're going to have some amazing audio from from the trip. You guys are going to bring them a lot of great information. You know. I assume you're going to be doing some deep, deep Joe reporting while you're there. You better oh, believe it. Time. Live <laughs> audio, video. We are going to make a multimedia approach chronicling our trip there. Because yes, that's, we bring that's fantastic. Yeah, it's going if to be... we can afford to get him there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is just a, you know, I, I don't ever want to hop on this or sound like a stuck record, but this is a lot of fun, and you listening to this can be a part of our epic journey. Uh, this is a dream come true for at least two members of this group uh, they've never been outside of the country before it is going to be the other one doesn't care about the other one doesn't care about J.J. it's not a dream yeah that's that's Steven <laughs> well I, I speak from first hand experience it's going to blow their fucking minds uh, you, you can see see a distinct difference in a human being's appreciation of the world once they've traveled and seen it I mean, we we take these flights of fancy on you know on the internet all the time. We feel connected to the world, but until you've actually set foot in another country and and just seen seen the differences and the similarities, like oh my, uh, I better look left first when I cross the road because that's the direction the traffic's going to come from in a non-former British colony. 
Kolonieri. Kolonieri. My inner Afrikaner takes hold. But, uh, well, I suppose America was... Well, the Brits were in charge for a time as well. But anyways, you guys went to war with them, and uh, at the end of that, you decided to change the direction you drive on. Um, we, That's we, right. We, we stuck with the colonial uh, system. Anyways. That was our big F you. Like, <laughs> Taxes, Screw you guys, freedom, you'll never drive from that. here. Drive on their side of the road. I know we haven't invented cars. It'll be another hundred or so years till we get cars. But when it happens, guess what, buddy? Other side of the road. It's all the little things. And what's also fun, like my, my experience of the States for the first time, it's like living inside a Hollywood-made film. You know, there's some old biddy at the Walmart asking me, paper or plastic? With the biggest grin on her face, because she's so friendly. I mean, ah, oh, God bless America. Well, we're headed to the south, and we are taking a road trip, so... You know, oh, wow, imagination go. here it comes. We're going to drink a lot, guys. Oh, well, well, two out of three of us are going to. <laughs> should we, should we, should we have, a, have a gladiatorial fight uh, to decide which South African stays? <laughs> no, we'll just, we'll just bump everybody down to Raymond Noodles, and you guys will be fine. I hope so. But ladies and gentlemen of the audience, uh, yeah, this is this is the last you'll hear me say this on this episode. Uh, please consider throwing us just a couple of bucks. It's not an ongoing thing. It's a once-off. But time is of the essence. We have less than two months. In fact, we've well, got... Less than 45 days, actually. Almost a month uh, well, to, to well, raise 45 the 45 days is longer than a month. That's... Yeah, but okay, okay, okay. We, we need to. We need to. We need to. We need okay, to guys, it's, it's two months. Forty-five guys, days. Uh, it's, it's just a month. No, it's to. this kind of. It's this kind of squabbling is why Cobra never got anywhere. Yeah, but I, me, I'm the bean counter right now. I'm Destro, the man with the plan, and I know that the deposit for our flights has been paid. They are reserved, uh, but in order to pay that off, that's where the crunch comes in. That's why we need to reach. 100% of goal, and soon. Yeah, no, for sure. So what's, okay. what's the website for your for your GoFundMe? Ah, well, it'll be in the episode description, as always, and you can find it on Facebook, but uh, it is www.gofundme.com slash G-I-Joburg, that's G-I-J-O-B-U-R-G dash Jocon 2018. Right. Mm-hmm. It sounds right to me. It is a mouthful, but as I say, you'll find it in the episode description, which should be in the drop-down on Podbean or iTunes or Stitcher. Bam. And also, we'll include a link to your show, Joe, just in case anyone oh, listening to this you. is not uh, yet a listener of Joe on Joe Podcast and Joe on Joe Illustrated. You should be. Absolutely. Where else can we find you on well, social media? Yeah, so I'm on um, I'm Joe on Joe Pod on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And uh, I'm a one-man show, so I do my best to hit all of them. But uh, you know, so, so I, Instagram usually takes takes the the biggest brunt of, of ignoring it. Um, <laughs> and you can go to I have a Patreon. You can go to uh, Patreon.com/slash Joe and Joe Pod, and that's where you can hear every episode of Joe and Joe Illustrated, where we get into the minutia of we literal page by page minutia of every issue of GI Joe. And there it also hosts all the episodes of the regular podcast. And then find me on you know iTunes. Do any search wherever you get your podcast from. Search for Joe and Joe. It's so good. Gets my highest yeah, recommendation. It, good job. Contrary to the name, it is not about uh, some uh, men on men talking about, you know, any kind of. I love the name. You just lost half our audience. Uh, well, no, um, no, no. That's I love the name. But, 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 you know, don't be disappointed if that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> no, I, 
uh, in the direction of the Joe Fund Me, etc. I think it's 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 time in our history of humanity to start. I'm not trying to do that, but it, it's it, the creator. Let's support the creators. And to, until networks tell us who they are, what they're about, yeah. I'm I'm going to support individuals. Um, yeah. Joe Berg is good vibes. Uh, if you're doing Joe content, let us know where you are or hashtag correctly. We'll bump you. Uh, Joe on Joe. If you're into the comics, if you're into the cartoons, that's network. If you're into the IDW comics, definitely run down Full Force podcast. They talk about all the new stuff. Who am I forgetting? Am I am I forgetting any podcasts? Mm, not that I can think of right now, but you know, because we have, feel free to let us know about them so we can pump uh, punt them out there for you. Mm. Yeah, listen to it. And with that, I think it's a wrap on episode 117. Joe, thank you for joining us. You know what? You are oh, a welcome you addition to the team anytime you want to drop in. Oh, I love it. I think you guys are dynamic. I love what you do here. I'm so I'm so glad we've our paths have crossed, and I look forward to more conversations about this in the future. Aw, thanks, man. You know, just to pick up on what Kuja was saying about uh, content creators, I no longer watch Netflix. I just head straight to YouTube. I like watching us. The regular Joes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, guys yeah. like us who are creating our own stuff, be it in the podcast medium or the, the you know, the visual medium. It's just great. It's so engrossing. We're real people, man. Yep. Can I can I put out a quick uh shout out to Dan Larson of Toy Galaxy? Yes, I got his name right. <laughs> I've been enjoying your content if you listen to us, good sir. I've been enjoying oh. your content. Uh, quite a bit over the last few months and I especially like uh, the turn that you've taken with your show at the moment it's been highly entertaining it's great seeing your toys and it's great seeing your G.I. Joe love he recently did a very cool um, what has happened to G.I. Joe or G.I. Joe missing in action it's a cool episode go and check it out tell Dan Larson G.I. Joe Berg sent you <laughs> I saw that episode too it's great I, I know who exactly what you're talking about it's great mm. Mm. I'm gonna go watch it now cool man yep Hollywood is dead, man. Long live YouTube. <laughs> you and me too. Grassroots. <laughs> and on that note, we are going to hang up this Skype call and immediately start prepping for a G.I. Joburg live event, which will be the past when you are listening to this. So we uh, hoped you joined us. We it would have us. happened. Uh, where Rob and I are going to do a mystery toy unboxing from Dan from Quality Joe's. Fantastic. What? And Paul will be drawing some of the commissions for our contributors. So I'm now going to stress about how to get the technical side of that up and running. Um, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your days. And evenings. That. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye, Bye. Steven. See you.